This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So this is interesting. Colin DeMello dropping some news about Bonnie Crombie. Doesn't make it a lock, but it makes it more likely. She'd been quiet about this, but the report on uh, Global This Morning is she's strongly considering entering the race for Ontario Liberal leader. She's been mayor in Mississauga. She took over from Hazel McCallion. She's led uh, Mississauga as mayor since 2014, but she's been checking this out. Again, I don't think there's any guarantees here, but if you do think, I I do, that Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is the front runner among candidates, Bonnie Crombie either changes your mind on that or or I think becomes, at best, a co-front runner, at worst, uh, a, a, a tricky a tricky hurdle for Erskine Smith. I do think that. I don't think there's any guarantee. This is not Bonnie Crombie walking in and it's a coronation here. There's no way that that's the case. She's going to go to the federal liberal um, convention this weekend, uh, the, the meeting of the uh, C- Canadian uh, Liberal Party, the Liberal Party of Canada. It's the best way to put it. She's 63 years old. Does that matter? I don't know if it matters. So I think I think you'd mention it if it was a male. I I don't see the big deal. We would talk about Nate Erskine Smith's relative youth in comparison. So if you're going to talk about somebody's relative age, I think it's relevant also. Um, and that's not to. She's a great job in Mississauga. She can be mayor of Mississauga, uh, not Hazel in Hazel esque fashion, but she can do that as long as she likes. Nathaniel Erskine Smith is 38. Remember what the Liberal Party wants here. They want to get this right in the long term. And they want a a premier out of this. They don't just want a better opposition leader. They want a premier. So by the time, to me, there's no math that works for the Liberals to get back into um, office until 2030 at the earliest. And probably it's 34. It Probably it's 34. Bonnie Crombie's 75 years old in 2034. I mean, do, do you like math or not? I'm not I'm not carving her. I'm tell I'm giving you a data point, and that's her age. I'm really intrigued by it. If Nathaniel Erskine Smith wasn't running, I'd go, Bonnie Crombie, great choice. You know as well as I know, and I mentioned it earlier, there's a couple names coming to the surface that if they don't become Toronto mayor, would they run as well? You're starting to hear that in circles about Anna Bailau. If she doesn't become mayor of Toronto, she'd run for the Ontario Liberal leadership. Could Selena Cesar Siobhan, who's going to really get out there in front of the spotlight next week? I want to talk about a great idea she had, top of the hour at 7 o'clock. I'm going to do that then. But if she gets in, remember, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith has no real, you know, Trudeau on him is the best way I can put it. He's a backbencher. He's gone against Justin Trudeau on a few things. He's been outspoken. He's been critical. And Selena Cesar Siobhan, there's no love lost there. So if you're looking for an Ontario liberal leader who has very little to do with Justin Trudeau, and this is what happens sometimes. Doug Ford had very little to do with Stephen Harper. Very little to do with it. That's what you look for sometimes in an Ontario leader. Someone that we can't associate with somebody that is now kind of trending more negatively. Stephen Del Duca. Too far, too closely linked with Kathleen Wynne. And so was almost anybody that was, to be honest, Mitzi Hunter was going to be too closely linked with Kathleen Wynne. This is how that works. So we'll see about Bonnie Crombie. It's a really, really intriguing scenario. 
I'm a big Bonnie Crombie fan. Mentioning her age doesn't mean I'm not a fan. We just talked about this with John Tory, who's closer to 70 than he is 60, and we talked about it last fall. So fair play is fair play. I think that's that's the honest thing to say about this. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So, what, Sheba, what do you think? I'm worried about restaurants. Um, I, 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 it's Wednesday night. It's crappy weather. There wasn't yeah, a hockey game on. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm... Because I used to do this and I used to work in, in the industry. And on a Monday night, you'd have a waiting table shift in January, February, March. And you'd be like, ah, nobody's here. You're not going to, you'll make 40 bucks in tips, whereas you'd make maybe 140 on a Saturday night. So I've got to oh, keep wow. that in mind. That's, and that's like 1990. And if you went money. there tonight or on Tuesday night, I feel like it would have been packed because of the Leafs. I think you went, you just chose yeah. the day that people are going to be a little quieter on a Wednesday night because they're going to have a late Tuesday and Thursday night. So uh, I think all that factors in the rain. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see the places busy, and but because that, that means people have income to spend. Here's the one point I made to somebody last night: is that the concert industry um, is booming. It really is. Like, like people want to go out and see shows. There's so many acts that got grounded for two years. There's so many outdoor shows at Bud Stage this year. There's so many shows at Scotiabank. Ticket prices are higher than ever, especially on original uh, when they originally get sold. So, and, and, and nobody's, you know, we're not struggling to sell Leafs games out paying 600, 700, 800 bucks a ticket. So I can't figure out, I'm not chastising people for not spending money, but then I started to think, Sheba, is it all economics? Do we just do dinner differently? Do we not, do we not go out? Are we happy getting takeout still? I don't, I don't know the, the, the numbers on that. I'd be curious to see them. I think we have a better appreciation for takeout. Mm-hmm. I absolutely think that is just more comfortable. We've got really gotten used to it over the pandemic, but there's something very special about going out for dinner. Uh, I still, I mean, we go out once a week. We still do that. It depends. Uh, on the weekdays, though, we never go out. So it's interesting. I think if you went to that same restaurant you went to last night on a Friday, Saturday night, you would have had a very different experience with way more people. Yeah. Uh, but on the weekdays, we just don't have time. The kids have too many programs going on. Um, but it's our Saturday nights. I think Friday nights or Saturday nights, depending, is when we go out. And if by, I should point out, and people are doing this as well, um, messaging me. If you if it's by a movie theater, big difference. Like it's a, if it's near a theater, and yeah, where I went last night isn't or a mall near a mall. Near a mall, right? if you go, yeah. yeah. Um, all, all right, so difference. you saw this video last night. How would you even um, describe it? This was about a TTC driver making a, a pickup of somebody that the cops were looking for, in essence. This is a horrible video that actually left me feeling upset, which I'm surprised because I'm dead inside. But this one <laughs> is a man that you see. So somebody's recording. Uh, she's on the bus. This is a TTC bus. And she's, this is, uh, north of DuPont on Adrian Avenue near Symington, uh, sorry, on Symington. And she's recording this man who was sprinting beside the bus. And if you just casually look over, you'd think, oh, this guy really needs to catch the bus. He's going to be late for something. But let's listen to this video as okay. soon as he gets on the bus and what happens. Go. Moving, I got him here. Sorry. I don't hear. Oh. We're not Listen. playing around. Let's go. Listen, I didn't call We're not I didn't playing call around. Listen. Listen to me. I didn't call the ambulance. Okay, so what that is, is there's a man who's running for the bus and there are police officers chasing him. And this bus stops at the bus stop. And this guy, he keeps looking back. He's sprinting. He mm-hmm. gets on the bus and he starts yelling at the bus driver, go, 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 go. Mind you, he hasn't paid the fare yet. And somebody is recording him through this entire And experience. a normal guy got on right ahead of him. 
Yes. The guy that. gets on right ahead of him, and this guy gets on. And then what we realize is the bus driver knew that the police officers were chasing him. So he let him on the bus, and he kept him there for the police officers. And these bu- officers get on the bus. They drag him off, like physically drag him off as he's screaming about, I didn't call the ambulance, whatever that means. What bothers me here is we don't know what this man did, why the police officers were chasing him. Who is The, the bus is packed. There are a lot of yeah. people on this bus. So for this bus driver to let this guy on, I just feel like that's a safety concern. It's a safety concern, but what would the driver have known about? And I don't know what the policy is. What would the driver have known about? He just sees it. He said he sees what you just saw originally. Now he should hear sirens, but you could hear sirens anywhere. I called you yesterday, and you heard a siren blaze. Right, it was a fire truck blaze right through the intersection as you and I were on the phone. So maybe the driver just hears the siren and doesn't think it's at all related to the guy that's no, but hustling for the bus. In he, this video, they say that he sees. He sees this, the cops and he sees this guy running from the cops. So he opened, he intentionally opened the door. He let him in to hold him for the police officers who tackled him yeah, they when came, they got they, him. They came in the back door because remember, both yes. doors open, right? To get, you're supposed but, to get off at the back on, and get on at the front. But he gets on and immediately he, he makes a mad dash through the crowd to the very back of the bus. And for me, my concern is let's say I was on the bus, let's say I was on with a couple of my kids. And I see these police officers chasing this guy, and he opens the door to let him on the bus. <laughs> Who are you? What have you done? Why are they chasing you? Do you have a weapon on you? What is the crime? I don't want that anywhere near my kids. You don't want that anywhere near your kids. And I agree I wouldn't want it anywhere near mine. Your kids have an amazing story for school today. Amazing story. They were involved in, like, the capture of... You're right. Oh we don't my know what goodness! He did. That's the story. No, my kids. See, that's this is the age difference. Your kids have an amazing story. Mine are going to have nightmares <laughs> no, for the next they month. Won't. They come in my room at two a.m. every night. This guy, the, the Hannibal Lecter, didn't get on the TTC bus. Some shaggy-haired, bearded two, dude did. When we saw the carjacking in the fall, my yeah. younger two did have nightmares for a little bit. They were scared. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 40 Toronto. The Ontario NDP uh, just has a disaster on their hands. I don't know how else to describe it. And it's going to spread if they don't take better action than they took yesterday. Um, here's what happened. Sarah Jama got elected in a by-election. Andrea Horvath's seat, as a matter of fact. And so she is an NDP MPP. And um, she's had um, incidents before, several of them, online or at uh, news conferences. And she has been described by many as uh, as an anti-Semite. I see her as an anti-Semite because this has happened over and over and over again. And uh, yesterday, not much better. The NDP had to basically walk back something she tweeted out. I'll read you the statement from the New Democrats. Last night, the MPP for Hamilton Center, they don't use, um, they use her name, but not her full name, I retweeted a tweet by an American academic, Nora Erekat, concerning the death of Qatar Adnan. Um, and later unretweeted it. I won't go into all the details of who Adnan is, um, but I know the Middle East is is fraught with tension and disagreement. And I talk, I mention all the things that, yeah, in, in five, 10 minutes or over the span of five days, you probably won't change people's minds about how they feel about it. Um, but she later unretweeted it. The content of the tweet does not reflect the views of MPP JAMA or the Ontario NDP. Now, let me address the response. Um, it's no good. 
It's pathetic, as a matter of fact. It's weak sauce, as the kids say. This is an utterly embarrassing explanation. And they clearly don't trust JAMA to tidy this up herself. Okay? If you say things constant, constantly, not a slip of the tongue, not a one-time incident, that make people think you're an anti-Semite, when they call you an anti-Semite, it's pretty hard to refute them. And that's how, that's how many people feel about Sarah JAMA. In Hamilton and beyond, there was work to do when she got elected. There were um, bridges to mend. There were chasms to fill. And I don't know whether she's done that, but if she had even started to do it in the last, what she'd been sworn in for, two months, this all goes out the window when she does this. B'nai Brith charged that she was a radical anti-Israel advocate. Again, you can have a political opinion. You can say something about Benjamin Netanyahu. You can talk about the practicality. You can talk about a uh, you know uh, a, a, a two-state Middle East. You can talk about relations with other countries. You can do all those things. That's not what she's doing. That's not what she's done. And I- I'm sorry, this is no good of a response. And by the way, Where's everybody who wants Leslin Lewis, when Leslin Lewis has lunch with a racist European MP, and she is that, Christine Anderson, Leslin Lewis gets excoriated for it. Rightly so. Where are the people calling out Leslin Lewis? Calling out Sarah Jama. That's what I'm going to do until they don't let me do it anymore. Leslin Lewis made a huge mistake. That's, a, that's not just an error in judgment. That's a calculated thing that she did to go and have an audience with Christine Anderson, and it's a tremendous, tremendous affront to a lot of people. Same as Sarah Jama. I mean, just be consistent. Be consistent. Or just tell me you're waving your flag for one party and not the other, and you're out here trying to score political points. Now listen, on to Marit Stiles. She's the NDP leader. I think she's pretty smart. I think she could be, if the cards were played right, a, a, you know, a possible premier of Ontario. That's why she's in the role right now. But you got to do better than a statement. Mart Stiles should be in front of a microphone this morning saying no more of this. Now, I have it on good authority that Sarah Jama has been told, and I would go to the bank on this. She's been told you don't tweet. You don't do anything on social media. Run it up the flagpole. Let us see your tweet. Then we'll approve it. It's just that simple. Okay. But but Jama should be in front of a microphone being uh, absolutely apologetic absolutely remorseful and if she's not maybe it's hard to force her into that if she's not sorry in truth and in reality i guess that's probably a good reason not to put her in front of a microphone but an ideal scenario is jama at a microphone today and a camera martin styles beside her and styles saying i believe in this person and if she screws up again she's out and i'll quit with her that's what accountability used to be you bet on your horse and you, you, you know, you bet on your ship, you go down with it, okay? If JAMA does this again, one more time, one more time, she's out of second, third, fourth chances here. If you can't make that pledge, if JAMA can't get in front of a camera and handle this, kick her out of the caucus right now. The damage is immense on this one. It's immense from unions who hate being associated with hate. The damage is immense from fundraisers. I'm getting... <laughs> I'm getting emails from people and tweets from people saying, I'm a Jew. This bothers me immensely. Our family always voted NDP. Never again. Not one election. Not one candidate. Never again is a long time. Maybe they mean it. Maybe they don't. But they're emotional. Fix this. A statement is pathetic. It's really weak. And by the way, what does it matter what an NDP MPP thinks about the Middle East? 
The, the nobody in the Middle East cares what an N, Ontario NDP MPP from ha, the Hammer thinks about the Middle East. They don't care what I think. You might care what I think. You're listening right now. That's great. But uh, they don't care in Israel. They don't care in Pal- they don't care in the Middle East. They don't care if you're Palestinian, if you're Israeli, if you're, they don't care what Sarah Jama has to say about this. Focus on the job. The jobs in Ontario. And Mara Stiles, again, must be horrified by this, but that response is no good yesterday. Fix it. Like, you don't have long. Fix it today. Don't just give me, well, you know, things get misinterpreted sometimes. She did this before she got elected, Stiles did. Well, I'm sure we've all put words in the wrong place. La, 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 la. You better do better than this. Like, show, sh- like leaders lead. Show me you're a leader here. This is a great opportunity for Marit Stiles. It's a telling moment for Marit Stiles. I'm going to tell you that right now. And NDP people are saying that. Not out loud, not in public, but they're watching really closely in the next 48 hours. This is a disaster. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I came across a substack uh, from a, um, a doctor who used to be president of the Ontario Medical Association. And you know me in healthcare. Like, I think there's a way, speaking of the Ontario Liberals, if they can find a way to reframe what healthcare is in the province you're going to win a lot of elections in a row. What we're doing, you know, just repeating the same thing over and over again just is not working, and and it's hurting everybody. It's one thing if doctors and nurses were thriving. They're not. Patients don't have choice. Uh, patients have to wait forever. So um, he writes about the admin burden that's really killing family practice, but it's not necessarily what you think. I'm so happy to have uh, Dr. Sohail Gandhi on, a former Ontario Medical Association president as well. It's been great talking with you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, say my piece. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. You document and, and you give that stat, and I think we all heard that stat a couple months ago, uh, doctor, that um, family doctors spend 19 hours a week on paperwork. We're getting uh, doctors go through medical school, men and women, that don't want to be family doctors. They don't want to be GPs, almost in essence, because of the paperwork. But you document, this, is, this isn't all paper, is it? No, it's a lot of the admin burden is from the way the reports are presented to us. Now, we get reports from hospitals, we get reports from labs, we get reports from uh, outside in the community and from pharmacists. And and the problem is the system isn't really very well integrated, right? So Mm -hmm. if I get a report from a hospital on a patient of mine that says, you know, they've got some abnormal blood work, you need to follow up. The report doesn't have the blood work on it. I have to sort of log on to a different system and then get the blood work from a different sort. Like it doesn't all come together. And all of that time spent, you know, trying to link the three different pieces from of information together into one uh, is wasted time. Uh, is this about the software? Is it specifically, is it about that nothing's universal? One office might use one system, one office one office might be still sort of married to the ball and chain of the fax machine. We've all made jokes that faxes are, but the only place we use faxes anymore in Ontario seems to be in our medical system. What's the biggest reason for, for all this uh, this disorder? Well, there isn't a vision for digital healthcare. There isn't a functional vision for digital healthcare in Ontario right now or in Canada, frankly. Uh, So you're right, you know, there are 11 different pieces of software that family physicians can use, none of which talk to each other. There are three main systems for hospitals in Ontario, none of which talk to each other. So if you're in a hospital that uses one system and then you wind up in another hospital that uses a different, the information doesn't get sent, right? Mm -hmm. There's two or three laboratory systems, there's God knows how many pharmacy systems out there, and none of the systems talk to each other, none of them integrate into one seamless uh, piece of information for the patient to help them. 
And that adds to the amount of checking and rechecking that family doctors and, and others do. I mean, it's a particular problem right now for family doctors, but everyone else goes through that, uh, that to a certain extent as well. I mentioned, doctor, that our, our best and brightest, and you document this in, 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 on your website, justanoldcountrydoctor.com, you mentioned this, that medical students, some of our best and brightest, don't want to be GPs. They aren't going into family practice, not even in small numbers. They're, they're going anywhere except being a family doctor. That's, that's kind of heartbreaking, is it not? Yeah, it's very frustrating because family practice at its heart is a very, very rewarding career. I've been very fortunate. I've been practicing family medicine for 30 years now. I've got great relationships with my patients. I followed them mm -hmm. at all stages of their life, and I really enjoy taking care of them. I, I really want to be there for them in their time of need, and I really want to help them achieve their health goals. But when you spend, you know, 17, 19 hours a week, just trying to sort out all this bureaucracy, it, it really wears on people. And younger doctors, many of whom I think would make excellent family physicians and, and should know what a rewarding career it is, um, are turned off by the fact that they have to spend all of this time not actually looking after patients, right? Because every time I'm in front of a screen trying to piece together this information, that's time away from a patient and providing care. Dr. Sahail Gandhi, uh, our guest joining us on uh, Toronto Today on 640 Toronto, because we talked, we would talk a decade ago about the brain drain to the United States, but that's not what this is. This is just going into other, other practices to go into surgery, to go into clinical work um, where, uh, let's face it, there's just, there's less sick notes to write. There's less referrals to make. There's less um, pharmacies to call with prescriptions, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it is about trying to make family medicine um, more you know, more appealing from a, a workflow point of view, because the workflow in family medicine is just so challenging right now, um, and, and really so, uh, it really become quite onerous. Like we've seen the statistics on it. We know, you know, a large number of uh, younger doctors aren't going into family medicine. We know about the fact that 20% uh, of family doctors in Toronto, like we're not talking about rural Ontario, we're talking about big urban center like Toronto, uh, they're considering retiring over the next five years because of these kind of workload issues where it's just not rewarding work. It's not looking after a patient in their time of need. It's not, you know, trying to provide them with compassionate care and supporting them through difficult times. It's, you know, click on this screen and click on that icon and then link to that website and then download this, you know, that's yeah. what we're doing, right? Yeah, this is not, um, I mean, you've heard the phrase universal health care, and to be honest, though it has some benefits, you and I and the listeners probably roll their eyes uh, because I, I hear from patients who live in northern Ontario or they live far outside even of a bigger place like London or Kitchener, and they drive an hour to a family doctor, and when that doctor, when he or she retires, they don't know what to do at that point. They're, like, they're walking blind into a wall trying to figure out, what do I do now? Yeah, no, I, you know, my practice is in Stainer, which is just south of Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, and I've had patients who move to the Windsor area, I've had patients who move to the Sudbury area, and I'm still looking after them trying to through virtual tools as best as I can. It's not optimal. Uh, and I'm doing that because they haven't been able to find somebody else. They'll come uh, back from Windsor. To, they'll come back from Windsor to see you because they keep you. They like yes. you. So that's how much they like you. They'll come back and see you driving from Windsor to, to Stainer. Well, there's a combination of that plus uh, the fact is there's no one in Windsor, right? So right. they just don't have a choice because no one in Windsor is taking patients, no one in Sudbury is taking patients. So they're, um, you know, that aspect plays a role as well. 
you had a quote back in 2017. Um, <laughs> you're probably bracing yourself. <laughs> we all say a lot of things, and we're like, oh, please don't read me something I thought five years ago. But, but I thought this was a prescient quote from a story I read. The people of Ontario spend a lot of tax dollars on health care. They deserve a system where physicians and government work cooperatively in the best interests of the people of Ontario. Five years later, six years later, it feels like we're further away from from that sort of system than we are right now. How do you view it overall? Yeah, so actually, you know, seven years ago, seven years ago or, or in 2017 was a really bad time because that relationship was just just awful. Um, I will say that currently there are some conversations that are going on and it's it's better than it was seven years ago. But what continues to be missing is is a coherent sort of vision for how healthcare should be delivered, right? Because it's the vision that drives the the process. Right now, we've got a number of healthcare bureaucrats um, mm. who you know, they're good people. I I talked to them a lot when I was president of the Ontario Medical Association. I had good meetings with them, but but they lack someone above them to say, you know what, we need to go in this direction. We need to unify all of our uh, IT in, into one system and it can be done and let's get it done. Uh, and, and without that direction, they create many different mm. committees and many different tools, but not all of which just add to the admin barrel. They just make me click on more icons. I, I only got a minute here, and but I, I definitely want to have more conversations about this. That's what drives me nuts and that's what gets me yelling and screaming. And I hear from doctors, nurses, orderlies, EMTs who say, the, the the fat at the top the like a, a, a VP here an extra you know HR person there uh, and they're all it, the sunshine list comes out and doctors and nurses look at what they're making and and it just demoralizes them this it's worse than ever it looks like yeah so we have um, in Ontario we have probably about ten times as many bureaucrats um, uh, healthcare bureaucrats per capita as a country like uh, Turkey. I actually studied Turkey because they went through a, a great healthcare mm. transformation. So do countries like Japan and and you know South Korea. We need to learn from these countries. We need to think out of the box. And you know we're always comparing ourselves to the United States. We need to stop that. We need to look at at, at Israel and we need to look at Vietnam even that has uh, transformed their healthcare IT and say this is how uh, we need to do it. Uh, and if you look at those countries, number of healthcare bureaucrats per capita is far, far less than we have in Ontario. You sold Lots me. You sold. Hey, uh, Gandhi for premier. You know, can we? <laughs> you'll lose that patient in Windsor, uh, but you'll do. You'll I think do a you lot have of a better chance with Bonnie Crombie as liberal leader. But uh... let's chat again, doctor. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. Awesome. Dr. Sahail Gandhi. Man, smart stuff right there. I'm going to tell you, that was fantastic. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our uh, fantastic colleague, Sheba Siddiqui, uh, is off tomorrow um, because she's going to be headed to the United States. Um, this Now, you're coming back. I should say, I, 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 I messed that back, up at yeah. 6 a.m. and I don't want to mess that up at 8.52 you're not leaving us for good. Unless, you know, you never know, though. Like, you could get, like, just fall in love with Nashville, Tennessee. Never leave I could. It. People I've love heard being it's very there. possible. And you've never I've, been before, right? I've never been in Nashville. It's my first time. And you're going with your daughter and, and tell us, tell the audience what you're doing. It's so While cool. we're doing a girls trip, our very first girls trip, um, she's turning 10 this weekend. So we are actually doing a mother-daughter trip to Nashville to see Taylor Swift. Okay. So we prepared. Gordon and I prepared. A, uh, we left you in the cone of silence while we prepared. There's some audio daily doubles as well. We have a five-question quiz about Taylor Swift. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. I don't know how many of these I'm going to get. I, I like her music. I don't know much about her I, personal I, I, life. I think you can pull this off. She's okay. She's dating a gentleman right now named Matt Healy. Gord, I think this is the one. I think this is really the one, and I is don't. It? I don't anticipate some problems. He, he's not going to be a future track number seven. She has told people before, don't <laughs> date musicians or athletes. But he is yeah. a musician, so good. Okay. Good, good luck. So wait, she broke up with Joe Alwyn, and now she's right. dating Matt Healy. Okay, that's right. He's in what band? Cold. Oh. I give you four choices. You get four choices. Cold. Play, 1975, Muse, or The Killers? What's that? Coldplay, 1975, Muse, or The Killers? Uh, uh, the Killers? No, he's not in The Killers. He's in 1975? 19- uh, yeah, okay. That was my second guess. Okay, you yeah. get half points for that. This happened. You'll get this. This happened at the 2009 MTV Music Video Awards. But, but the first part is double points. Okay, let's play you the clip. This happened at the 2009 MTV Music Video Awards. Thank okay. you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. I... Yo, Taylor. I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. Oh, God, I watched the whole thing last night. It's still as cringeworthy <laughs> as it was uh, four, 14 years ago. That's um, the, the always um, un, un, unsettled Kanye West. But whose video did he prefer and what was it? Beyonce. What was the video? Oh, 2009 Beyonce. Um, if you liked ladies? it, if you liked it, blank. You yeah, single ladies. That's you got what it. I said. All right, yeah, okay. Beyonce single ladies. Let's hear the whole clip just so everybody can uh, drive into a guardrail because it's so cringy. Here it is. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. Just in case you didn't. Even Beyonce's going, and then, what's going on? Yeah, Beyonce's yes. like, oh, Kanye, what are you doing? And then she called Taylor up. She won an award later that night, and she called Taylor up on stage to finish her acceptance speech. Oh, it was a horrific moment. Taylor survived it, though. She's a survivor. Um, that's a that's a <laughs> Destiny's Child song. What, what are we doing? One. You're going to Nashville, Tennessee. What? Now, you're going to a stadium. This is Taylor Swift. She's so big. She plays NFL stadiums nonstop. What car company sponsors the stadium that you'll actually be in? Nissan. Yeah. Oh. We didn't know if you'd get that or not. That's oh, great. What? I don't Chris. know. You don't. Well, do, do you have the ticket? The tickets are on your phone. I mean, unless you stare at them, you could have said Toyota or Ford. No, well, I had to book a hotel near the stadium, <laughs> so I know the name of the stadium. Okay, okay, you did get it. All right, what movie is this? Um, she didn't win an Oscar for this, but I thought she should have. <laughs> what movie is this? Uh, from Taylor Swift. Uh, she acted in this movie. Here's a clip. He's very tall and thin. You would know him if you saw him. For his eyes are sunken in. Okay, what movie is that from? Oh my goodness, I don't know. This is a musical, obviously. That's right. Yeah. It's not burlesque. It's uh, nope. I don't know. Uh, there's uh, there's animal people dressed up as animals. Cats? I don't know what. The, yes, she was in cats? yes. I don't know. If she was in cats. Yes. It's hard to tell. And now, do we have time for my favorite uh, joke by Ricky Gervais on <laughs> James Corden? No, we don't. No, okay, fine, no. fine. I really wanted to end the show. On <laughs> no, high. You, I, I was going to say I don't believe you were willing to say that. I love it. You? Oh no, no, no. I I can never tell because it's him saying it, and he's saying it about another man. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. Okay, and finally. I, you know, I, I don't know what the tickets are. It's none of my business. You and I have never had a discussion about it, and we never right. will again. You've led me astray. I, yeah, I might owe you uh, the, the the balance, the balance, if you will, <laughs> not the whole thing. Greg but- told me to wait. He told me to hold off and wait. Just for anybody who doesn't know, I was ready to purchase these tickets in December. He said, "No, I'm telling you, you wait till March. It's gonna drop." 
It did not drop. But if, but if you bought them day. now, you'd be in worse shape. So you kind of split the difference. Okay, fine. The day of or the day before. Sure. So I, I don't know that I'd spend X amount of dollars on seeing Taylor Swift, but I would on this particular Taylor. Name this song. Come on. Everybody knows it. Big banger. Big, big banger at the Great 11 Tell dance. me I'm the only one. Who sings this? Taylor Blank. Taylor, um, Taylor, blonde. She's blonde. That's right. Taylor, You're doing great. Taylor, <laughs> Ta- starts with a D. Taylor D. I know what she looks like. Taylor, not, I know what she looks like. Taylor D. It's not nice. Not all blonde women you know, look alike, Sheba. Enough of you in your I'm stereotypes. Think, oh, that's brutal. Leave Bonnie Crombie out of this. Ah. Um, you know what I'm thinking of? <laughs> for, some, for some reason, I'm thinking of Sass Jordan, but it's not Sass Jordan. No. It's Taylor, what, what's her name? Taylor D. 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 Not nice. Dane. 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 Taylor Dane. Taylor Dane. Okay. Uh, now, I would have said... I had Sass Jordan in my head, but... Here's what I was going to do as a hint. But then again, uh, you know, I, you never know who will get offended. I was going to be like, it's a dog. Great blank. But I didn't know whether... Because I think Taylor <laughs> Dane was pretty hot back in 1988. <laughs> have a great time. Tell us all about Thank it on you. Monday. Oh, I'm going to give you guys a live... I'll be messaging you all weekend. Uh, Gordon and I are, are nodding going, yes, we, we know. But no, have an awesome time <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. 